Blog Talk Radio. Hey, welcome to The Futurists. I'm Ben Rudy. And I'm Alex Lightman. Yes, you are. And we are so excited today to have uh, one of my best friends, David Comfort, on the show. And uh, actually, I've got, I've got two of my best friends on the show, Alex Lightman and David Comfort. And I think that's why I'm so excited about this show. Uh, plus, I've been, I've been working on this community rise and manifesting and thinking about it. And I mean, it, it started as a dream over a year ago. And then we met David and co- started collaborating with David. And now it's, it's become a reality. And so we're so excited to talk about that. I mean, I could talk about this all day. And David has such a different perspective. He's such a genius in, in what he does. So I'm so excited to get to hear his perspective on this. So we'll get to him in about a half an hour. But first, I wanted to talk to Alex uh, and ask him a question because he's had a ton of experience living in intentional communities and uh, living in a frat and all that stuff. And, you know, we're, we're in, a, in a place in time right now. So I brought this up at the very end of the last episode, the Claire Graves system, Spiral Dynamics. And one of the things that it talks about in the different phases of evolution as people evolve and communities evolve and countries evolve is we tend to go from self to others and then back to self and then to others, right? So let's say we start off as a caveman and we're on our own and we're surviving. Then at some point we realize that it's easier to survive in a group. So we create a, a, a tribe, right? And now we're in others focuses on others and, and, and living in a community. And then at some point, one of us wants to break away and go travel or do our own thing. Then we're back to self, right? But it's at the next level of the spiral, the next level of evolution. And so I feel like that's where we're at as a community right now is, or as a society, as a planet is we've been trying to do things alone. We've been trying to do things on our own and we're at a time where we're like, shit, I am just, I am done working my ass off and trying to do this by myself and trying to do it alone. I want to do this in a community. I want to have a community supporting us and our kids and, and us do, living our life purpose in our community. And so part of the reason I'm so excited about, about Rise, about what we're doing, because it's so different than anything that's ever been done. And it's going to be so much more readily available to the mainstream and repeatable. We're going to be able to, once we create this working model and have the proof that it works and that it funds itself and that it's uh, a very good investment for the investors, we'll be able to take it and put another one down in the U.S. somewhere or Hawaii or uh, Alex, you had your, you had a community that you created a long time ago in New Mexico uh, what can you tell us about that? Tell us, tell us how that was for you. Sure. Uh, how about if I say uh, let the context go from the beginning so it has a, a, right. a narrative flow. Um, I was born into a commune. Uh, my mother gave birth to me in Hollywood in, on the dining room table, and she had about what? two dozen of her friends come and bring lawn chairs, just like people came to the Santa Monica Pier last night to listen to the open-air concert. And wow, she said it was a, pain, a painless birth and that she got up and made these cookies and carrot juice for people, and it was all a, a shared experience. 
So that was a that was an interesting community. And and from time to time during my life, she said, oh, and this person was, you know, your your godfather, like George Powell, the guy who did the special effects for this movie, The Seven Faces of Dr. Lau. Uh, he's your godfather, and this person was present at your birth. I don't know that, that it, it, it gives me a different feel as I approach the world to think that there were lots of people who saw me come into the world. And my father spoke 12 languages, and he used to have people come and speak to me in their language just so I would get used to hearing other languages. So it gives me pleasure to go around the world and travel. I've spent about seven years of my life uh, outside of the United States and I've been to 66 countries, and I love hearing people speak languages, especially languages I haven't heard before, like whenever I hear a Native American dialect I haven't heard or a language I haven't heard. Um, but one of the things that, that happened when I was a kid is that I lived in a commune in San Francisco, and I remember that they were sharing uh, my mother's vehicle, and they ended up uh, having it run out of gas. And they left it there, and she made these things she called elegant portfolios. She would cut up magazines, and they would have different words. So it actually uh, could look like a ransom note, but that didn't really matter because she was just playing around. There had been some bank robberies in the area, and somebody had somehow managed to squeeze through these really small holes. And apparently I was a problem child, and I threw somebody's uh, purse out on the, the awning, of our house, and one of the guys in this group house we were living in held me by my feet and made me pick it off the roof. The <laughs> FBI had found my mother's uh, VW with these kind of weird, elegant portfolio notes in it, and then saw me hanging out the window by my feet, like looking <laughs> like they were practicing for a bank robbery. So basically, that's how that was the end of my uh, communal living as a child. Um, wow! And I went back to uh, communal living uh, between high school. And uh, college, when I lived with a number of Iranians who had fled from uh, the fall of the uh, of Iran when it be, you know left when the Shah left, and uh, that was pretty funny. That's where I learned a lot of different swear words in Persian. Uh, <laughs> and then I lived in a fraternity, and I ended up being the community relations chairman for the MIT student body, and we got an award as the best public relations program in the Northeast out of. Uh, over 10,000 universities. So I think that if you live in a commune, if you live in, in a group living, it gives you a sense of how to live in a community. So MIT students uh, are kind of uh, uh, not always socially the same as other kids. So, for instance, if they get annoyed at their neighbors, while the neighbor was shaving, they would bounce a laser off their eyes so the guy would go to shave, and then they would, you know, blind him and then, like, for a second, and then he would cut himself shaving. And I would oh have God. to go and actually be like the prosecuting attorney because the way that, that the police had set up things with MIT is that we, would, we were sort of a separate community within the six cities around Boston, you know, Boston, Cambridge, Alston, all that kind of stuff. And we would, if there were kids who got in trouble, they would turn them over to the campus police, and the campus police would turn them over to me, and then we would, have, we would actually settle these things within the MIT system. So it was almost a, a parallel government. And then lastly, what you asked about was in New Mexico. So I met a woman named Chris Griscom who's uh, written a number of books. Her books have uh, sold over 3 million copies. And her son, Bapu, uh, had a bulge in the front of his, uh, his head. And he looked to me like a beluga whale, like he seemed like an ordinary child from 500 years in the future when humans have much bigger brains. <laughs> 
and and she has a, she and I did a book together called Ocean Born Birth is Initiation because she had given birth to him in the in the Bahamas in the Exumas a place where I later took our students from a school. And so I said, wow, this is a special kid. You can't have him in the normal school system. You have to have a school and a community around him so he can grow up and be his own unique person. And she said, That's yes, exactly. That's how we feel about our kids. Yeah. So uh, we started with a summer camp uh, called the Student Venture, which is three weeks, and we got circus tents. And then we turned that summer camp into a year-round boarding school, high school and a college. And then parents moved into Santa Fe. So we had our, our community on 128 acres for the Nijoni School, that's spelled N-I-Z-H-O-N-I. It's Navajo for Beauty Way. And the Light Institute had about 44 acres. And so it's really fun. It's fun to be able to grab a piece of property and to have a spiritual community or some philosophy or something that people can share together that's not – you, you got It's like Goldilocks, not too hot, not too cold, not too a bed that's not too firm, not too soft. You have to have a sort of a shared ethos that's not too rigid, so you just get up with fanatics, and not too loose, so it just turns into you know hanging out, um, where people like how do you get the dishes done? How do you mow the grass? How do you make sure the the fruit trees get harvested? So what I'm thrilled about this episode today, it's about community building. And one of the things that we do with The Futurist, and this is our, our, our second show, but, we, but Ben and I have a, a shared philosophy about what we want each show to do. And one part of The Futurist is that we want to have people do three things as a result of listening to each show. And so the three things for today is to, the first one is, think of a community that you'd like to build. And then the first thing is, Think of the name of that community. And we have a Futurist page on Facebook. Please go there and, and say what the name of your community is. That's number one. Number two, say what, what would be tie things together. What, what would be the thing that would attract people to it? And then number three, if you could have that community anywhere in the world and on any size piece of property, where would it be and how big would it be? So uh, today we have a guest, David Comfort, who's, uh, as Ben said, he's a good friend of both of ours. Uh, we've both been to this property, and he's going to be talking about it in Costa Rica. But um, I want to just mention, too, that on my Facebook page, um, Alex Lightman, uh, there's me with a bunch of books around it. If there's another Alex Lightman. I, I put in a clip from a TV show called Wayward Pines, and Wayward Pines is about a community that is – 2,010 years in the future. It's made by a Silicon Valley scientist who made a lot of money with his high-tech company, and then he uh, both recruits and kidnaps people and puts them in, in suspended animation for 2,000 years because he feels that the world is going to fall apart and there has to be one city left. So it's basically the last town, the last city on Earth, and the, the clip that I put on it is him talking to an architect about, hey, don't you want to make a community that can succeed and change the world? And so uh, what I'd like this show to do is to give people the idea uh, in contrast to, let's see, we've, we've now, if we wanted to, we had the, the chance to see Donald Trump's vision of the future, and we have seen Hillary Clinton's vision of the future. But you also have a way of voting. And the most powerful way that you can vote is to create your own community with your own values and your own rules. And, of course, you have to follow the laws where you are unless you're going to make your own country. And that's the idea of the seasteaders and Liberland and, and other places. But, you know, 
if you can't you, it, before you make your own country, you should make your own community, your own town, your own city. So Ben, what um, I have, I'm dying to know. What's the yeah. story of you creating your own community of people? I know they weren't residential, but you had a lot of friends. I see whenever you post something, you have a lot. You have this burst of love from people who know you and your wife Jen. Um, you were surrounded with love and friendship, and you had you know a prosperous business. What on earth caused you to pull up stakes and go to Costa Rica of all places? And what has the experience been like for you? Yeah. So what happened was Jen came out of meditation and said, "My guides are telling me we're supposed to move to Costa Rica," and that was it. That was it. That was literally it. And we have, I mean, yes, we had a huge uh, community in the San Diego area. Every month we would hold an event and have 40 to 100 people there. And we just had this amazing group of friends. At any given time, we were hanging out with people we love. And then Jen comes out of meditation and says, let's move to Costa Rica. We had never been to Costa Rica. She didn't even have a passport and at this point, I've learned just to listen to Jen's intuition. When she comes out of meditation and says something, I say, okay, let's get your passport and go to Costa Rica, right? So, and, you know, I've never been somebody that, that wants to live, that wanted to live in a community. I didn't even like having roommates. And the, the closest I've ever <laughs> come to living in a commune was at one point I was living with I think five lesbians and a couple gay guys, right? I mean, what, so I, I was raised, quick backstory on that. I was raised in a, uh, a home with my dad was very, very homophobic. And so my entire life has been about going towards things that scare me, going, thing, going towards things that I don't know about or things that freak me out or facing my fears, right? So at some point I decided, okay, I'm only going to live with, with uh, people in the gay community for, I'm only going to live with gays for, however long it takes, right? And they became my best friends. And so I, I lived with only gays for two years, right? So that was kind of like a communal living experience. But now I'm at this point where, uh, okay, 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 back up a little bit. So we decided to go to Costa Rica and we're looking for homes, right? We come here, we fall in love instantly. It's the most beautiful place I've ever been to in my entire life. It's so free, right? There's an energy of anxiety and stress in the U.S. that you don't even know is there because it's just it's normal, right? But as soon as you touch down in Costa Rica and you step out into the jungle, you realize that things are just a little bit different here. And they have a saying called Pura Vida, which just means pure life. And everything just moves a little bit slower, right? They run on a different clock. And we just fell in love with it. And then as soon as we got home, and we were driving home was when we had this crazy download and just, we had a two hour drive and me and Jen were just brainstorming. And Jen said to me, look, if, if we could do anything, if we could do absolutely anything, if money wasn't an issue, what would we create? And we said, well, I want our friends here with us. I don't want to be there in the jungle alone. I want our friends there because we have really awesome people. We have people that are leaders, community, uh, community leaders, that are changing the planet and we want to co-create with them. So we were going to build a community of eight to nine homes and have a school for all of our kids. That's, so they're not raised in that system, right? Like your, 
your, your friend with the, uh, the dolphin child, right? You can't have uh, enlightened beings in the standard school system, right? So we, 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 we kind of created this. I posted a post on Facebook about it and a couple pictures of pyramids. I remember I was, that, 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 that pyramid picture, and I felt this electric buzz go up my spine like this kundalini kriya <laughs> times 10, thinking, wow, that is so fantastic. i got to be part of this. Yeah, and that's, that's actually where we kind of met or came together. I mean, we met before in Sedona, which is actually the same place we met David as well. And then after I posted that, you contacted me and David contacted me, and we all kind of fell in love. And I think you and I, had a, you and I Alex, had a three-hour conversation. Jen was out, like, getting her nails done and getting massages. And she came back, and I was still on Skype with you. And uh, that, was, that was kind of how we connected. And we decided on that call to, to stay in touch, right? Do you remember that? Yeah, sure. And also, we should give a shout-out to Eben Pagan because he uh, sets up these metaminds for people who want to do uh, amazing things in the world and who have large networks on social media. And so thanks, Eben, for bringing the three of us together. We wouldn't be here if you didn't do metaminds. Absolutely. And we've also brought in Paul Taylor, which we met at Metamine, who he's the, the former marketing director or something like that at Coke. At Coca-Cola, and he's helping us do, you know, kind of like tease out for this this project what's important to uh, all of the founders, right? The main people in this project. What what is it that we want to see in this so that we can, can convey it, right? This is also how we connected with Android Jones, who is the one of the oh, top my favorite male artists. artist. Yes, exactly. Yeah, in the world. Yeah, so I have a, actually several things. Nice, um, Ben. What um, what What's it been like living in Costa Rica? What's the food like? What's the temperature yeah. like? What's the humidity like? What's the, the wildlife like? What are the people like? Oh, man, don't get me started. It's, it feels like freedom here. Every day feels like vacation, and it doesn't stop. And I've had a complete <laughs> – and I know, I know David said he had the same experience too. Is I've had a complete disinterest in checking my email and in checking kind of like the compulsive things that I used to do nonstop – in the U.S. and Do you I think just the mental want... health is, is better there than in America? Oh, 100%. 100%. I mean, the people here just are so content to sit on their porch and stare at a tree, right? I mean, the internet reception isn't that great. The 3G network isn't that fast. Even the LTE network is probably as fast as 3G network in the U.S., right? It just, are they, you can't are the do people much happy? with it. Are the oh, people you're around happy? The people that I'm around, the people that I've connected with are so happy. And here's the thing is they don't have a lot. They don't have a lot. They have a little home and they have a few possessions and they own their home and they own their car and they're not in debt and they're not enslaved and they grow their own food. A lot of them grow their own food, right? And they can fix their own stuff. They don't need all the stuff that, that we think we need in the U.S. Right. And, you know, there's so much debt in the U.S. and debt is heavy. Right. It's just it's a heavy energy. And there's so much going on in the U.S. that just isn't going on here. Now, that doesn't mean Costa Rica is perfect by any means. And I am never I'm never going back to the U.S. Like after being here. And of course, you know, the voice in my head 
as soon as we thought about moving here, it was like, oh, my God, what about the Internet? What about the roads? What about the stores? What about this? What about that? What about the schools? What about, you know, all these, like, I mean, in the U.S., you can walk to a CVS and get anything you need, or you can have something, uh, you know, you can easily have Amazon dropped off at your front porch. I mean, they don't even have mail here, right? They don't have mailboxes. They don't, they don't have addresses. So, you know, and that stuff freaks me out at first. And then you realize that, oh, I don't actually need any of that. Oh, yeah, my GPS isn't working because I'm not getting reception here. So I have to actually access my brain and let my brain intuitively remember where I'm supposed to be going, right? It's just you access different parts of your brain. And so I feel like it's like in a big way, it makes people so much smarter and in, in very specific ways, right? Like taking care of yourself. <laughs> like I remember one time in San Francisco, my, my phone went dead and I was lost. Like I couldn't use my, my maps. I couldn't call my girlfriend. I couldn't, like I didn't know where I was. And like, I almost like curled up in a ball and cried, right? Now I'm out in the fucking jungle with the monkeys and the, t and the, the parrots and, you know, and it's like you're, you get a flat tire and, and you just like relax about it. You're like, whatever, I'm good. And, you know, in the jungle, you know, people want to help you and people want to help each other. And it's, it's like you just you support each other. So I feel like I'm even living more in community here because everybody wants to help. Everybody wants to support. And you have to when you're living in the jungle. You have to create it as a community. And we have nobody around us. I mean, our closest neighbors are, you know, several minutes up the street. And I mean, we're right out in the middle here on our own mountain. And there's just such a sense of community that feels so good. And our kids get to oh, play with their kids. I, I want to mention one thing. Costa Rica is very interesting. It's uh, just uh, south of Nicaragua and it's north of Panama. And so on the East Coast is the Atlantic, and on the West Coast is the Pacific, and in the middle are mountains, so that you have this enormous range of climates. And depending on your altitude, you can choose your climate. You can choose your yes. average ambient temperature. So what altitude do you live at in, in both uh, uh, English system of measure and, and metric? I think we're, we're at almost 2,000 feet uh, where, where we live where our home is now rise oh okay is, i thought you were higher than that no we're not that high i mean it, it's it's oh, pretty okay. high up and i mean the the climate here where we live is perfect right so uh david was working on a project in costa rica uh be, just before deciding to come over to to work with us in our in, in our location our area and his location was so hot and so humid it was by the beach and a lot of people in costa you know, when they think about Costa Rica, they want to go visit the beach. They want beachfront property. But that is where, the, you know, uh, that's where the, the, the misconception is of Costa Rica's jungle climate and jungle fever and the tropical, like, crazy humidity and crazy heat and crazy mosquitoes. And you just sweat all day, every day. And I want to kill myself when I'm there. I don't, I, I don't like going to the beach more than an hour or two at a time. And well, we're, I, can, we're I can attest to that because uh, well, I went to Costa Rica and luckily David had uh, rented us a gorgeous property up in the mountains where it was lovely and cool. Right. I was yeah. a, a speaker at the Envision Fest uh, where they were kind enough to give me a tent as a, a speaker. 
but it was just so hot that I preferred to live up in David's gorgeous place with a with a you know hundred mile views. Yeah, um, and it was like a fifteen to twenty minute trip away from from Envision, right? So like that's how short of a distance you have to travel to get to a different climate, right? Yeah, and in so Virgin, where, in Virgin Rainforest too, where I could hear the howler monkeys out there. Rah, rah, rah. Um, before we, uh, uh, let's. So what was it like after you lived in Costa Rica for a few months and then because you and your wife, uh, Jen, are yeah. popular uh, speakers, what were your impressions coming back to the U.S.? You told me about oh the, 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 uh, the feeling of toxicity. Could you, could you talk about the contrast between clean air, clean water, those kind of things in Costa Rica and what that felt like and then what it felt like to come back to the U.S.? Ben, are you there? Okay. Uh, ben might not be there because Ben is in Costa Rica. So in case Ben is lost, uh, David, are you on the line? I am. Okay, great. So since Ben isn't here, I'm going to uh, introduce you and invite you, and then Ben will tell us when he's back. Um, I'm very pleased that our guest today on our second The Futurist show is my friend uh, and mentor, David Comfort. David uh, has been a successful commercial real estate developer in New York, and I find it very amusing that uh, Donald Trump could be a uh, commercial real estate developer in New York and come away with one set of, of values and ideas of, of, of what was necessary to do and how you would come away with a radically different set of, of values and point of view. Could you, as a sort of an introduction, could you tell us what you were doing in New York and, and how you thought of the world? And then what was your kind of uh, Paul, you know, Saul of Tarsus on the road of Damascus, like becoming Paul? What was your, your moment of revelation that led you into this new path? So in New York um, and really my entire corporate life, I was following uh, – an ideal or a conditioning that a life of accumulation, whether it's monetary wealth, material things, um, was would be the source of of happiness, of source of fulfillment for me, and so that was a driving uh, force in in my life was financial success, and. Um, so in in a similar way, Donald Trump and I were uh, on a on a similar path in, in terms of where we sourced um, fulfillment. And life really changed for me dramatically about three years ago. And the the easiest way that I can uh, break that down is a shift from accumulation as a source of happiness to service to others as a source of happiness and fulfillment. And I should say fulfillment and prosperity because it's not, um, it, it's really encompasses all parts of our life. And I think that's where, um, where the difference would exist right now. And I won't get into the long story of how that happened, but I would say that it started right around the time I went to Burning Man for the first time. <laughs> and that, <laughs> and that festival all. is, uh, yeah, that festival is an unbelievable source of creativity and inspiration. What did you so I say, find? Uh, let, me, let me say one thing. So this is a question that people ask me a lot about Rise. And my answer well, we is should say what rise, We should say what Rise is. Not everybody knows oh. what that is yet. Okay, cool. Well, 
I'll, 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 I'll mention this later. Go ahead and uh, ask your question. Well, my, question, my first question is, and then the, uh, what, what do you get out of going to Burning Man? How many times have you gone and how have you evolved? What, what do you get out of it? Because you're, uh, you've got a huge project you're working on, and yet you make time to go there and see your friends and our mutual friends there. Um, and then the next question I was going to ask you is, uh, what is Rise? But first, what, what's Burning Man to you? So Burning Man is humanity living in its most beautiful state. And it only happens for a week, and I'd never seen it before. But when you step into a community of 60,000 people and see them living so beautifully, gifting to each other because there's no money exchanged there, helping each other in, in need, the most, the most rewarding thing you can have happen to you at Burning Man is for somebody to ask you for something, to need something, and you have it. It fills you with immense joy. And so the, to com, you combine that with all the art that's creative, created, the radical self-expression, um, all of these beautiful, unbelievably human elements of life expressed in a large group of people, it's, it's moving and, and it's contagious when you, when you go there and you have that experience of what, um, how beautiful the human experiences can be. You want it for the rest of your life. And so my father asked me after a couple of years, he said, what's so important about Burning Man? And I said, dad, it's like getting injected with a drug that you hope the best drug in the world that you hope will last 52 weeks or 51 weeks, I, I guess, until you can get back to Burning Man. It changes your life. And I can give you a, a more even concrete example. Um, Hurricane Sandy was soon after the first year I went to Burning Man, Hurricane Sandy w w uh, hit the New York area. And in that instance, most of my life, I would completely take care of myself. And I did. I was insulated, made sure uh, we were protected. But then all of a sudden, this other impetus came up in me, and that was, how can I help others? And so I went out to Staten Island and just started helping people dig out of their homes, tear down and, and, and uh, walls and, and clear out debris, and then the same out on Long Island. And I know I never would have done that had I not been to Burning Man and felt how unbelievably fulfilling it is to serve those in need. Wow, what an awesome That's answer. Beautiful. And and David, what is what is Rise? So Rise is is a community. Well, we like to call it a community synergy engine, <laughs> and uh, I, I like that. Although it requires, I think, a little bit of explanation, but it's an entrepreneurial community that comes together to support each other's impact on in the world and so we all have these uh, wonderful skill sets that we've developed and for those of us who have awakened to our calling not our job but our calling it is unbelievably helpful to have others with different skill sets to leverage uh, your impact on the world. And so this community brings those pieces together. And so in, in order for it to um, be appealing to everybody, or not to everybody, but to the 
people who resonate with this vision, we really had to think about all of the barriers, all of the resistance points that people might have to moving to Costa Rica, for instance, to join this entrepreneurial community. And they're easy, things like internet, you know, it's a major part of, of the economy of, of, these, of these individuals and for our, and our connection to the world. So we have fiber optic um, internet going in into to our location in, in Costa Rica. Uh, school is another place. Uh, children, I have an 18-month-old daughter, and how she's schooled and, uh, is, is of vital importance to me. So we're creating a school, uh, and it's a Waldorf school, which is a system of education that I firmly believe in, um, in terms of preparing our children uh, for, for the world, for their, for their human experience. So it was about thinking of all of the elements that we need to, to break through and then develop a community and build it for people so that it's turnkey, so they can step right into it and their only um, requirement is their desire to contribute and impact this world in a positive way. That's I love so cool. all of yeah, that. What, one, one what of are the, the things that lights us up the most is when somebody has a concern about moving to Costa Rica, right? Like, like well, what about the what about the Whole Foods? There's no Whole Foods there, and we're able to answer it because we've handled it, right? We're able to say, yeah, we're we're creating the greatest example of permaculture that's ever been done on the planet, and we're creating the most biodiverse uh, location on the entire planet with the help of Stephen Brooks is, is leading this, he's leading all this up. So we're, we're literally creating, what is it that you called it, David? Uh, ambient nutrition. <laughs> Actually, that's a term that Alex coined and I like it. Um, it's, oh, it's, yeah. It's give a, credit uh, where it's due, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> and, like and so, you know, genius. you, you, you you ask uh, about Whole Foods, and I say our Whole Foods is literally our backyard. We've already yeah. planted um, 30,000 different uh, trees, from, and half of those are, have been fruit trees. So we are the most biodiverse source of food in one location in the world. And, and so when you think about the diversity of food that is go healthy food, toxin-free, organic food that's going into your body, not, and not organic be, because somebody stamped it in a foreign country, organic because you know it's grown right on your property the way you want. And when that diverse uh, diet is hitting your body, and Alex uh, can certainly speak more about this, you start to establish diversity in your gut microbiome, and that gut microbiome uh, governs your long-term health and the and just now we are starting to understand the importance of of that microbiome even from starting at birth uh, that microbiome is set as as the uh, baby travels through the birth canal so cesarean section um, uh, births rob the the uh, the child of basically setting that baseline in the gut microbiome and 
And so it's just an incredible way to uh, increase your health, your longevity. And uh, Alex, what do you, health span, what were, what were those four categories well, yeah, that are so important? There's yeah. Lifespan, how, from the time that you're born to the time that you're declared dead. Health span, which is the time that you can stay out of assisted living. Fit span, which is how long that you can go and undertake any kind of physical activity. You can do running, biking, and so on. And uh, heart span, which is the number of people that you can go and, and see yourself doing with uh, things with and collaborate with and care about. Uh, those are the four things we were talking about, having Rise be the place on earth where you can do that. Um, I've also told David that, that it's the first consciously designed blue zone. Blue zones are the places in the world yes. that a guy named Dan Buchner did. Um, he went around the world and found communities where uh, there's a high number of people who live past the age of 100. So there's a community in Greece. There's a community outside of Aloha in Ecuador that I've been to. Um, there is Okinawa in Japan. And they have certain things, diet and exercise. But in general, they are people who are walking around and seeing their friends and having fun uh, past the age of 100. And I think that RISE has all of the elements that I've seen in common for the Blue Zones. Um, right. But well, I want to so come back. Other... I, I don't want to leave this microbiome uh, thing, you know, just as some small little thing. This is the real deal. What David has plunked his own money down, worked with Stephen Brooks um, and uh, his colleagues in uh, Costa Rica who've been there for 20 years. So uh, Stephen Brooks is, uh, is from Brooklyn, and he has uh, reinvented himself to create uh, an amazing uh, knowledge. He has an incredible knowledge of what will grow in Costa Rica and what's healthy for people, doing all these kind of workshops. And it's very, very exciting for me to, to think about what's happening with the microbiome. So two quick things that are underrated, but this is the, the big things that we know about our health. One is the gut bacteria. So we have that the latest count is that we have 27 trillion cells and that we have 23 trillion uh, different kinds of creatures, critters, living inside us. And they count for about 10% of our body weight. That's about the same as mitochondria. Mitochondria are these captured organisms that have become part of us that are the power plants of our cells. So the gist of, of what we're talking about RISE doing is that you have this ambient nutrition, this food that you can get that's right there that's so incredibly healthy for you and which will basically, by living in RISE, you will have 10% of your body that's very diverse, like everything's being fed. And the more different kinds of critters you have inside you, the greater resilience that you have and the greater the chance that if any malicious, nasty bug comes along, that there's some living thing inside you which can just take it out, deal with it. And uh, so uh, I, I turn it back to you, David, but I think that the microbiome is so incredibly crucial to having maximum health span and maximum lifespan. So there's, mm -hmm. there's one thing that uh, – so I, I want to – I mean, we've been talking about a lot of, of really cool stuff and there, there are two really big pieces that um, are exactly as important as the other one, right? So one of the things that David is actively heading up is the we're doing a he's creating a holistic retreat center on one on one part of the the land, the 800 yeah. acres, and on the other part is a community of 40 homes 
where we're going to have 40 people living there. And a lot of our connections and friends are leaders in the community of transformation or health or they're all thought leaders in their own, in their own right. Right. So this is why, this is why we're so excited to have all these people there sharing their gifts with each other. And this is a part of the blue zone where that they've discovered that the reason that people live so long in the blue zone is because they have a life purpose and they have a reason to live and they have a role to play in the community. Right. So whereas, so in the blue zone, it's like there's the guy that grows the corn and provides corn to the, to the community or the guy that has the cows and milks the cows or the guy that creates uh, that, that, that lays the eggs and provides eggs or the guy that builds the homes or the, the woman that, uh, that, uh, you know, fixes the clothes or watches the kids or what, you know, whatever, whatever they do in the blue zone. Now here we're creating the first conscious, consciously created blue zone, but it's also in a mainstream way, right? Like I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to be milking cows, but I am really good at other things like relationship coaching and, and coaching people through hard situations and enlightenment and, we have the craziest healing modality on the planet, right? So, like, that's my life purpose. And now somebody else's life purpose might be health, right? Uh, holistic medicine, right? So they'll be like the holistic medicine person. And we'll have somebody else that, that'll be like the um, – I don't know. Help me out, David. There's like, there's, there's, like, all kinds of amazing people that we have that are interested in this. Like, I mean, like the people that yeah, are so, the top so of their game I, at finances or – business coaching the the, the retreat uh, serves a number of, of different purposes first of all it fits in with an ethos for our community of lifelong learning children learn most mostly through what they see what we model for them we can teach them and try and guide them but they will be most deeply impacted by what they see so as yeah. adults if we can model for our children lifelong learning we instill in our in our children the importance of that value and one of the things that i love about the the educational system that we um, at the at the school will be building there is the idea of while teaching skills is important what's most important is growing capacity you grow the capacity for your child you grow the possibility for their human experience and so there the, rudolf steiner developed a, a very clear system on how we can grow our children's capacity and i actually attended a waldorf school uh, for the first six years of, of my educational journey so i have an, an idea <laughs> of what that is not because it was taught it was just my life that's how we um, that's how I grew up. But in terms of the, the retreat, so it serves as this model for our children, but it also serves as our connection to the outside world. We're not looking to isolate, to separate ourselves from, from the modern world. We're looking to provide an optimal environment for us to impact that world and to interact with it. And so when you think about the curated program of teachers, thought leaders, change agents, healers, practitioners that rotate through the this retreat where all of our residential community will have access to 
and access to all the guests and insight that is coming out uh, coming from there you realize what an amazing tool this is to leverage our impact on the world it is this circulation of knowledge and insight and so that is a really compelling reason for me to to relocate uh in, into a community that has this and so for those of us in the community or in the world that are already entrepreneurs that are already seeking and following um, our calling, this is an ideal place for them to be supported for the continued emergence or, or even the continued success of what they've already found as their calling. And it could be in various different, different fields um, like you suggested. And the last thing that, that I would offer on that is one of the resistance points that a lot of people have is, well, how am I going to make my living? And um, the world today is, is evolving. 36% of the workforce in the United States are now freelancers, and that number is growing more and more rapidly. They're working from home. Um, they have their own businesses. And so it means that they don't need to be uh, in, in one certain location. And we're supporting that movement and supporting the idea that people can touch others and serve others from anywhere in the world. And, and we're just creating the container and the infrastructure that allow them to do that in a way that gives them a right relationship between their calling, their life, um, their family, and their, what they would call, I would call their leisure time. But what we all know is they're all wrapped up in one. It's just your purpose. So I hope that David, helps. Can you, can, that's awesome. David, can you talk to us about the economics? How much does it cost to do something like this, and how do you pay for it all? And um, is, it a, is it a non – I mean, I know the answers, but I want to make sure that our, that our listeners mm -hmm. do. Is this a nonprofit venture, for-profit? How does it all work? Financially, no, I, it, it's a for-profit venture, and but the way I see it is the dollars that we per, that we generate, um, we just recirculate and repurpose into doing more. And I don't, it's it's much more challenging to to attract in investment if you're not going to offer a market rate return. And I don't see anymore the need to have to separate market rate returns and doing good for the world. You can do both. And in fact, I think in the future, you will have to do include both to be an attractive investment. And so our, the total cost of building the community will be about $50 million. Um, that's cut, broken up into, into various stages, um, but it's not that much money. I know if, for some that, that might sound like an extraordinary uh, amount of money. Uh, projects that we did in New York City were often um, hundreds of millions of dollars. So it, it, I think it's always uh, an exercise in, um, you know, limiting beliefs. <laughs> when you think, I know when I was a young kid, $100 felt like all the money in the world. And then there was a point where 100000 felt like a lot of money and maybe a million. And so all you need to do is to break through that barrier that you might have around what's possible with money, um, and that money will open up to you. Yeah. So when that was, when, you know, when Jen asked me, okay, if money wasn't even in, in the equation and we could do anything, what would we do? And so our budget that we came up with 
was like $1.5 million, right? That was, that was what we <laughs> thought was going to create everything we wanted and we were going to be able to do it on eight acres. And then David waltzes in and now all of a sudden it's an 800 acre project and the budget has significantly increased. So, oh, and, and this, is, this is what I wanted to say earlier um, when Alex said, well, people don't know what RISE is, right? So there are a ton, I mean, th- there are probably thousands of people that are trying to start communities like this. And when I first started thinking about this, I had a lot of people that said, don't do it. Don't even try. We, we know so many people that have lost a lot of money. Uh, we, we've heard the horror stories from these people. And people keep asking me, what's different about your project that is gonna ma- that, that's going to make it work? Like, why is this different? And my answer is always, because we've got David Comfort. <laughs> David, <laughs> David's like, the super grounded, like knows how to talk to mo- about money, right? Uh, we had, uh, he, he's like, he's got all these answers. Like he can talk to a banker. I can't even talk to a banker about my bank account, you know? Like we just, you know, us visionaries, you know, like I, I can create a vision of the future and I need support to bring it into the, into the present, right? And this is why we have, a, we have a team of seven people supporting us full time because, we need that. We need the people on the ground to, to do this, this work that just is not my genius zone, right? So this work is David's genius zone. He's been doing this for a long, long time, and he's very good at it, right? And so, David, thank you for, thank you for being the, the magic sauce. I mean, every, everybody that's involved in this is a piece of the magic stew, and uh, you're the right now. You're the pot that's holding it all together and making sure that everything gets taken care of. So you're killing I mean, it, man. Ben, um, thank you. That I, I appreciate that. But in in a way, you just actually highlighted why it works <laughs> and what we're talking about <laughs> by yeah. co-locating, by leveraging each other's skills. Because there's some immense talents that you have that I can't even that that I've called on before <laughs> and uh, and and will again. And so that's just it. When we when we harness the power of tribe, of bringing yes. like-minded people. People together, we unleash possibilities that most people think is unfathomable. And but it seems effortless. Like I'm watching as uh, some of these uh, foundational elements of Rise are coming together. And so the the best way that I the way that I love to cultivate these ideas and then let them live and breathe on their own is to when when I see. an element or an idea that wants to be in the project, then we nurse it. It's like growing a little seedling and we let it sprout out of the ground. But ultimately I'm looking for somebody with far more expertise to take complete ownership of it within this ecosystem that we've created. So for instance, the regenerative agriculture, we know that Stephen Brooks and Itai Haubin are absolute masters and are rocking that area. I don't have to worry about, yeah, it's and that's how you move a large project forward. You don't do it alone. Um, you find the right pieces and plug them in and then allow those pieces to move with almost complete autonomy in service of the vision. Um, when I think about some of the other pieces that are that are coming together, the, uh, one of them, um, well, I don't want to 
I don't want to make any announcements yet, but the piece that Anthony and, and Bobby are working on and yes. Steven and Ed, the immer- the complete ownership that they're taking of that, of that experience for our guests and our residents is incredible. And um, I, that's, that's what I love. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I love about um, working with this group is you, you tap into and you find the person that is moved and inspired, ridiculously passionate about this, this one piece and committed and you put them in charge and you empower them to, to manifest it. And, yeah. and that's so, how and, we're and that's able to do a large project with the in, yeah. entire community, right? I mean, we're, we're creating it as kind of an experiment to create the community right now, but then once the community is created, it's going to be like this forever. I am never yeah. going to do a job for myself that Anthony David Adams should be doing for me. It just isn't right. going to happen, right? right. And right. it's like there's like having 40 homes with the level of genius that's being drawn into this community we will literally have everything we could ever want as our neighbors and as our best friends and as the people that our children are playing with. We will never, ever have to wonder again, how are we going to do something, right? If we want to change something, like something about the country, like if something needs, if the country needs support in a way that nobody else knows how to shift, I guarantee this community is going to be able to figure it out together, right? I mean, we're going to have the, the level of consciousness and intelligence and, and, and success in this community that is, is going to move mountains and change the planet. I feel it. I feel the energy. Every time I enter the land, Jen talks to the land. The land talks to Jen, and the land's always telling Jen, we've been waiting for you. We've been preparing for you. I've been holding this space for you. And the, the land's ready for it. We're ready for it. This is, this is exciting. So, Thanks, Ben. Oh. I, I agree. <laughs> it's going to be uh, oh. an amazing space to be in. Can you tell us about the people involved, their names, uh, so maybe people can friend them or look them up? Uh, can you start with our friend uh, Android Jones? What, what's going to be happening uh, with his artwork that's going to be something that people can come to see at Rise before Rise is fully built? Like what kind of things? Are we? I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, well, what kind of things can be – well, let me just put it this way. Um, is Android or is anyone else making something on the Rise property that can <laughs> that people can see and do? Like Ben and I have something we're going to, we can talk about now. But how do how do people see Rise uh, before Rise exists? Well, uh, how should I answer that? So let's start with Android. Android is a, a, a visionary artist and and just a. a brilliant guy and a, and a friend and I just appreciate so much uh, his worldview and his creativity and so we actually first engaged him to uh, to design our logo and um, that was a, a process that took 
took a few months, but ultimately we, we loved where we got and there's a depth um, to, to our mark that um, is just perfect for, for our Rise community. And so Android and, and I have been continuing to talk and we're going to be collaborating um, on events uh, that will be on the Rise property before we've even opened. Um, we're not going to be waiting until everything is constructed to start seeding the community with um, the people who resonate with this vision. We're going to be starting in months, not years. And, uh, and we have the people in place to, to basically facilitate that, uh, that hosting of the community. So that's exciting. Yeah, and so I live I live uh, less than fifty minutes from the from the property. So I'm so excited to have all of our friends there in a couple of months. So excited about this, and we have people fly in all the time who see us on Facebook or see our posts and come visit or come do sessions or come to a training. And I they always want to go see Rise, and so I go give them a tour. And you can't do a tour; it's so big and there's so much going on right now. I think we have 15 people working there full time and there's just so much going on that the tour takes three hours, especially when Stephen Brooks is there and talking about all the permaculture. Like there's so much energy in the land and there's so much bustling right now that it's so exciting. It's being prepared for what we're uh, launching in December, which um, I'm sure we'll be making that announcement really, really soon. Uh, this is what Anthony David Adams is working on right now. And uh, we're just lit up about it. Yeah. And some of the other people that I guess I think are, we should acknowledge because of their contribution. We did Stephen Brooks and Itai Haubin. Um, they are the permaculture masters. And, and yeah. so they have been leading this regenerative agriculture piece. And, and Ben, you touched on it earlier that it, it will be the, one of the largest displays of regenerative agriculture in the world. And it was a piece, another example of a piece that, I wasn't completely aware of when we first started this project and it, and then it emerged and it became a foundational element. And I encourage those of you who don't know um, what permaculture is uh, to look it up um, or even better to attend one of uh, Stephen Brooks's um, permaculture design courses in Costa Rica. It's, it's good. When I first heard the term, I thought, Oh, it's like organic farming, but it's so much more than that. Um, it, stands, it, it stands for it, permanent culture. And for those of you who think you don't know Stephen Brooks, you probably do. He's the creator of Envision Fest in Costa Rica. So those of you that have heard of Envision Fest or gone to Envision Fest, it was just in Rolling Stones magazine as one of the top 10 transformational um, events, you know, like, like Burning Man uh, in the world. So he's, he's doing a lot right now. And he, he's just, he's a savant when it comes to permaculture to permanent culture to creating creating systems that that feed you and that sustain a community and so that's what's happening yeah so so he's leading that and you know we have a number of architects on the project one of them is uh jason mclennan and mclennan design and yeah. jason wrote um 
a green building protocol called the Living Building Challenge, and it goes far beyond LEED in terms of um, its sustainability. It's not sustainable construction. It's regenerative construction, uh, net, net positive for energy, for water waste. And it is, it is the most stringent green building protocol in the world today, and we are designing and constructing all of our buildings to, to that standard. Uh, so we're really uh, excited to continue to explore that that with Jason. Um, ben also mentioned earlier Paul Taylor. Uh, he is our our inaugural. I call him Chief Marketing Officer, but. Paul was the heir apparent to the chief marketing officer position with Coca-Cola a few years, not long ago, um, when he had his uh, awakening, so to speak, and realized that he could no longer work there because he was poisoning the world. And <laughs> it was a <laughs> – I mean, to walk away from being the CMO of arguably the most recognizable brand in history. Um, yeah, I think he was, was responsible uh, for like $14 billion in sales or something is, is what I Yeah, no, he, he did some amazing work. And so, so that, when we talk about the level of um, expertise and talent that we're lucky enough to be surrounded by, He's he's just one of them. Um, somebody at the top of his game who is who is now contributing to crafting our brand story, our brand strategy, and positioning, and and bringing all of that expertise is is just amazing. Um, and I also want to mention, so this as we've crafted this. Um, my business partner is a guy named Ryan Leslie and Ryan and I have been working on this for uh, two years or so now. And, and I've just really enjoyed working with him because we're so different. Ryan um, <laughs> holds, is, holds a vision for, for what um, this, uh, what this community can be. And so we're, we're not a conventional partnership, um, but it's a, it works really well for us. Uh, and I just appreciate him so much as, as a sounding board um, and holding sort of what I'll call the energetic or spiritual center. And I don't mean that in any kind of a religious way, but there is a, uh, a self-organizing power, so to speak, that is beyond our human brain's capacity to fully understand. And, and I appreciate Ryan holding that space for us um, at the highest level. And uh, so I know I'm missing uh, – there's, there's so many other people contributing uh, on the project as well, but um, rather than – we can uh, dive in more into those people later. But I just want to mention a couple. Yeah. Oh, that's Thank so you. cool. I, I love that. Mm. Do you have any questions, Alex? Yes. I, I, first one is, uh, did you hear me when I was talking a minute ago when you guys went off, or was I the one who went off the air? I think you. I think you dropped. Ah, you okay. Dropped. How uh, it's our it's our first time. Thank you, um, <laughs> David. What um, what is uh, Rise going to do? Uh, once it's successful in Costa Rica, uh, what are the big challenges that you have to do to making it successful? And then when will you know whether you can declare it a success? And then what are your plans for future RISE-type communities? Will they be called RISE? And, and if you are going to do them, what other countries do you plan on doing them in? Yeah, And I think which, it's interesting which to... laws do we want to 
work with the Costa Rican government to change to make the environment even cleaner here? <laughs> I've got some ideas on that, but the um, you know first choosing what's the metric for success I think is important. There's the financial metric, um, and and then there's just sort of a, what I'll call a more human experience metric. I I'm I'm not very concerned about the success of it financially. I know it works, um, and. We will, by the time we're done construction, we will likely already be a financial success. And um, and then when I think about how the infrastructure that we're creating here, um, it's really it's it's rather unique. I mean, Esalen certainly has this this a similar type model, um, this experiential learning of a curated program uh, of outside teachers and, and change agents and pioneers. So in a way, those groups are your, those leaders are your de facto marketing department. And they're reaching out to the exact target audience that you want to, that you want to um, touch. And they have their own email list and they've been in communication with them frequently. And so there's been a, a secular shift in the, in the hospitality industry that, I think is is just emerging now, and it's tapping in to that ultra targeted uh, marketing um, program, so to speak, led by the people whose livelihoods depend on them connecting with them. The and so they're motivated even more, just as much, if not more, than the retreat itself as a as a business to run these programs to engage people and to serve and, and offer knowledge and insight to these people. And so it's a model that has, is, is built in alignment. And that's why I think it's really powerful. You can still do the traditional types of marketing that you want to, but really the reach comes from the practitioners um, that, and teachers that are, that are running the programs there. You know, we had David Wolf came by the property uh, in February, Envision and he loved it. And uh, David Wolf has 315 million followers. Um, and he's not the only one out there with that kind of a following. And so when you think about being able to tap into that source, you think about the predictability of business cash flows, of occupancy, you're, you're gonna, you get a lot of insight um, to what your financial performance is going to be before, practically before you've even opened. So that so the the so when we have all that information what do what do we do with it and the best thing that we can do with it is to build out a model of what we've done, a replicable meta model, so to speak, that if, you know, we were all to drop off the face of the earth one day, somebody could pick up this book <laughs> and, and replicate it. And so that's, we, we'll be doing that uh, ongoing as, as we develop the project so that we know exactly what we need to succeed. So we know what climate we need. We know what proximity we need. Um, we know uh, what the metrics or the environment for agriculture. And so we have all these pieces. And then as we scour the planet uh, for the next location, we can, we can 
basically filter out uh, uh, potential sites very quickly. So I, I, don't, I can't tell you exactly where the next location would be, but the idea is certainly that this is a brand and that we want to build it out around the world. And we've looked at different areas from India to Brazil uh, to Europe, and I see the expansion uh, spreading uh, across all of those spaces. Oh, that sounds incredible. How can RISE change the world? If you succeed and if many RISEs take, uh, take shape and people are living in them, we have tens of thousands, even hundreds of thousands of people living in communities, how will this make the world uh, different? How will it make the world better? Well, I think that the, the digital age has um, changed the landscape of how smaller groups of people can have exponential impact in a very short amount of time. Uh, when I think about communities that maybe were formed in the 60s, they were often isolating themselves or insulating themselves um, and weren't actually connecting with the, the greater world or, or offering their gifts to the world. And from where I sit, we're not only doing that as a community, but we're empowering many others to do the exact same thing. And so it's an exponential growth of the, of the tribe. And I, I know that, um, that you don't have to reach 50% of the world in order to change it. You probably only have to reach about 10% to start seeing uh, exponential change. And so Absolutely. that's how I see us really impacting the world is by empowering people with information. In this day and age, with knowledge and your unique gift and an Internet connection, you can move masses. And that just wasn't the case uh, uh, not too long ago. And that's why I see exponential change on the horizon and this is an interesting segue, Alex, to, to sort of what, what I know you're most passionate about. I often think about how is this, this growth trajectory, one that is grounded in nature and, and, and connecting with the world, how, where is that going to intersect with the unbelievable advancements in technology that, you know, you and Good those question. Like Ray Kurzweil see? <laughs> like, where is that intersection? And is it is it going to be a a battle, <laughs> like, or is it going to be an integration for even greater change? Integration, I should say. What What are your thoughts? <laughs> so uh, he's interviewing you know, us what, now. <laughs> well, you can. Is, is, uh, do you want us to, to give our thoughts? No, well, uh, no, I, I don't have, I haven't spent much time. I try not to spend too much time, uh, you know, focused or worried about the future. Um, and that's, um, that's newer for me. I'm more enjoying the present and, and with each moment. Uh, so I'm, I, I, I guess I'd, I'd like I'm, to I'm, point out, I'd like to point out that the key word there is worry about the future, right? So the show right. is called the futurist. He is creating the future. But this is, and this is where you want to create the future from, is from a place of happiness and joy and possibility. And if I could do anything, what would I do, right? So that's the future that, that we're creating right now and we're living into with this entire project. And, um, yeah, nobody's worried about it. We're good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I, I think the – that's – well, when, when I think about um, – the future and the binary choice that 
people are presented with right now, which, and I mentioned this before, between service and survival, um, yes. I think a lot of people say, I'll help others, but I just need to get myself taken care of first. I need to feel safe and secure, and then I'll help others. And the current society that we live in uh, forces them to make that choice, and naturally they choose survival. And and they keep making that choice, hoping that at some place they'll, they'll get to a place where they're secure enough where they can make a different choice, but they often never get there. And so what I envision is blowing up that choice. What if, ser- what if more service led to greater security, yes. greater happiness, greater fulfillment, and greater prosperity? And that's what led to the optimal survival, or as I like to say, the optimal human experience. And if we can create a place where that seems so clear to people, ah, oh, service is where, is where it's at, then they don't have to be faced with this ridiculous choice. And, and what I find interesting is um, there's a stu- the Grant study is a 75-year-old study by Harvard on, on what are the keys to a completely uh, fulfilled and happy life. And it's rare to have a study that runs this long because founders die, subjects die. And um, John F- JFK was actually one of the subjects in this, in this study. And there's really there's many, a number of conclusions but, that they reach, but the most important and most relevant, most compelling conclusion that they've reached is if you want to have a happy, fulfilled, lengthy life, then the quality and depth of your relationships with other human beings, which directly comes from serving them, um, is the most and only um, statistically relevant factor in in achieving those goals. And the only other strongly statistically relevant factor for an early death and depression and unhappiness is separation and loneliness. And when we look at this life that's been crafted for the last 150 or so years of defining success as separation, of independence, of having your own, of everything, it's no wonder that people have so much and feel so little joy about it. Yes, and this is, you know, this brings together several of the things that we've been talking about over the show. You know, I was talking earlier about the way that once this project is up and running and quote-unquote successful, we'll be able to plan it all over the world, right? And that's not just, I wasn't even saying that as a financial thing, but it's as a world-changing thing. It's creating this model of a world that works where people are happy and excited to get out of bed and living their life purpose and, you know, living and then bringing it back to this is the blue zone uh, way of life, right? And creating, creating this as the new way of living, the new way of life that works for everybody. And I feel like, I feel like David, you've been living it. I've been living it. Alex has been living this. And it, now it's just time to, for us to live it all together, right? So I have a right. question for you, David. So there's, there's so much going on in the U.S. and in China and Russia and all over the world around uh, monetary policy. And we've got the BRICS banks and we've got all kinds of – there's all kinds of fear around the economy collapsing and a bubble and 
and real estate stuff. And so is Costa Rica a safe investment? And I mean, you're the, you're the expert when it comes to all this and uh, you are investing a lot of money in Costa Rica right now. So I think I know what the answer is going to be, but what can you tell us about all of this? So, you know, before my uh, career in real estate development, I, I worked on Wall Street, and I was a trader uh, for a hedge fund for all most of my 20s, actually all my 20s. And so it's inevitable that I keep an eye on what's going on in the, in the financial world, even though uh, the only antidote for that is actually being in Costa Rica. Costa Rica. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but we live in very uncertain um, and unprecedented times when it comes to monetary policy, and uh, and I don't think the the masses really understand that, and understand the implications of it, and how it will, the, and the ultimate consequences. And when I say monetary policy, I mean um, the central banks of, of many of the developed nations. Uh, um, experimenting to do everything they can to try and grow our economies coming out of the financial crisis in 2008 and they've not succeeded and so they just keep there's no precedent for this so they just keep trying more and more radical things to do and to give you an example it would have been absolutely unheard of and they would have thrown you out of the room to suggest that government bonds would have negative yields going out even a year much less 10 years <laughs> right now in there is over 10 trillion dollars of government bonds where it's, you buy it's them. over thir- it's over 13 trillion now it's over $13 trillion. You buy them, and 10 years later, the government says, here's less than what you gave me because that's what you agreed to do. And people keep doing this and because, they, because they think that that's a safe investment. And the, the effect that this is having around the world is to exacerbate the uh, inequality between the, the haves and the have-nots. Those who have are benefiting in an extraordinary way. And, and it's just it's creating social injustice. And eventually, and, and the cracks are starting to show, people are starting to realize that the Federal Reserve is completely boxed in. They can't raise interest rates because there's too much of their own debt out there, and it will tank the economy, but the economy is not growing. So they just, they tried to raise interest rates a quarter of a point, um, you know, seven months ago, and all hell broke loose. And they, and people are realizing that they're boxed in. So if you have, when you come to the conclusion that this monetary system, which by the way, people think it goes back to the dawn of time, but is really only about 40 years old, our current monetary system. When you think about the things that can happen, 2008 is very much on the table and much worse than 2008 is very much on the table. And so when if you would like to insulate yourselves uh, from the, the, the catastrophic uh, uh, events that, that, that occurred in 2008, you need to think about what you need to survive. And I, I'm not, I, I know that sounds alarmist, but you need a place to call home, you need food, and you need a community. And so 
and from from where I sit, and particularly in the place where we're in Costa Rica, we can grow more food than we can possibly ever have. Land is cheap. Constructing a home is cheap. You can provide. You can actually earn an income there um, at at our, at our community, and you're surrounded by people that uh, are like-minded. So. It's just one place that I think that if that if one wants to protect their their livelihood, that it's a great place to invest. And and I I just think that uh, it's it's like a drama. I mean, I can watch it unfold. It looks like a movie to me. So I'm I'm entertained by yeah. it. But the thought that there are so many people who don't see this steamroller coming down the path. And and they're out there picking up pennies in front of it, trying to save enough for retirement, and they're just going to get run over. And that makes and that just is really sad. <laughs> and uh, and the, the, the other piece that feels yourself. really good, yeah, the other piece that feels really good about being in Costa Rica, guys, is there's no military, there's no yeah. karma of war, and therefore there's no terrorism, right? Like it, like it's it's a country of peace nobody's trying to blow anybody up nobody's trying to kill anybody it just i mean that they're it it just feels good being here and, and this goes back to the question that alex asked me just before i got dropped is um we were here for maybe a month before we we have to fly we used to have to fly back once a month to go We'd, we'd plan two speaking events at a, at a time. And so we'd fly back to the U.S., speak at a couple events and come back. And after being here for a month and just totally resetting to this energy, it was really hard to go back. It was really, really tough to go back. And we just decided not to do it anymore. We just decided that it is of our best interest, of our client's best interest, of the planet's best interest for us to just stay here and stay in this energy. And we were thinking, well, how are we going to make money? We make our money from speaking. We make our money from holding events and we can't do any of that here. Right. So, you know, we, we figured it out. We just do what we what were told by our, by our uh, higher selves and everything just unfolds. And we've realized that just being here and being in this energy and feeling amazing and living our life purpose and living the dream. We're living the, we're living the American dream, right? We're living the central American dream. I mean, it, like it, it doesn't get a whole <laughs> like lot better, better than this right now. And, and like, this is what I want everyone to know is this is one of the questions people have is, well, how am I going to make money? Well, I'll tell you, that's something that was freaking us out for a while. And when you do something that inspires the masses, right? I mean, people will fly out to see you. People fly out to see us all the time. And it's so good to have friends come visit and say, oh, my God, look what you've created. This is incredible, right? So, so Ben, I can offer some more about that. Like, um, oh, yeah. You know, there, there are businesses that – and just to give you a couple of examples of businesses that are emerging right out of RISE that – 
I, I wasn't aware that we were going to create, but are also creating opportunities. And this is, this is what happens when you co-locate and you bring this thing together. We were, as we're talking about constructing these homes, um, we're, we're, they're likely going to be timber frame homes done in a tropical sort of Bali style villa. And we're talking about materials and about this, the most sustainable regenerative materials we can use. And one that, the, one, the one that would actually work the best is still really in development. Um, it's called a glue laminated bamboo because bamboo is one of the, uh, the best materials you can use to build from an from a ecological and earth, earth yeah. standpoint. And so there's so much demand for, for a solution like this in Costa Rica, but it doesn't exist. And we even, and so when I was on this trip, we talked to a couple contractors, they would love it. So I started thinking, well, we should, we should start one of these businesses. So we're, we, we're discussing bringing over the machinery to actually start a glue lamb business for, for bamboo to, to uh, manufacture, to produce these beams and posts that so many people desire over there to build their homes. Um, that's phenomenal, so that's, David. That's a, that's an absolutely amazingly great idea. Well done. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. And we, and there's more of that. We've got, you know, kombucha culture is, is this amazing kombucha that is here in San Diego. And I absolutely love it. And, and I said, and they make it from all organic materials and they use um, some, put uh, some Ayurvedic principles. And I've been talking to them. I said, we should just have this at rise. We should produce it there. We we're growing tons and tons of amazing fruits and um, that, that would go into the flavoring of, of, of these kombucha. So we're going to open a kombucha operation there and we're going to distribute around to, to throughout Costa Rica. Um, and Envision Festival will basically buy up everything we, we've got uh, going on right out of the gate. And then, and then not only our Rise community, um, there's other, the chocolates, the superfoods that we'll be creating. So literally, like, businesses are already starting to emerge, and we haven't even put a brick in the ground yet. And, and there's <laughs> more of them. There's more of these opportunities out there. And uh, you can even just look around you, the nice thing when you go to a country like Costa Rica, you can look to the United States and look and say, what works there that I like that's helpful to people? Because there's probably, a, to a large degree, it's not being done in Costa Rica. So you just need to come and do it. And you already have a model for how it's being done in maybe in Europe or in, or, or in the United States. So there is opportunity there. And the great thing is, is you don't need that much to experience a very high uh, standard of living there. Um, I mean, Ben, you know that with the support that you have from your staff there, it's, it's just incredible. So um, yeah, it's, there's plenty of opportunity for people to earn a living there if they, if they are committed, passionate, and creative. Yeah. Yeah, Well, and what, and what's really cool is, is, you know, like you just mentioned is about our staff here is everything that we're doing here, everything that we're doing at Rise is creating a ton of money going into the community here, right? I mean, we've hired drivers, maids, uh, you know, yard work. We've hired, uh, we've hired, uh, we have, so our neighbors up the street have, 
two homes they rent out that Jen and I rent out for our people all the time. We have different hotels. We have, I mean, there's, I, I, could, I could go on and on, like different restaurants in the area that just having this project here is going to infuse new life into the community, right? And it's, it's in big way a community effort too that we haven't really even touched on yet, but that's really near and dear to. I think we lost Ben Rohde. <laughs> it's near and dear to his heart. Ben loves it and he wants to have it be successful. So uh, David, one of the things that we try to do in each program is to mm -hmm. give book recommendations so that people who want to dive further into it, could you um, talk a little bit about the last safe investment and how that, uh, what the principles of that are and how they relate to Rise? And if people like that book, why they yeah. why they might be interested in Rise? Absolutely. Is that a fair question? So it's a great question. Um, there are a number of books that I would suggest reading. One of them is called The Last Safe Investment. And it was written by uh, Brian Franklin and Michael Ellsberg. And The Last Safe Investment is ourselves, is us. Investing in yourself is the best way for you to have the life that you want. And I never really realized this so much later in life, um, but we spend, we, I spent money on myself. I spent money on our relationship. I have a, a wonderful, amazing, loving wife and, and a, the, mo the most perfect relationship for me. And so Investing in ourselves, the principles of that are really finding assets in three areas. And one is called advisor equity. The other is called um, is tribe. And the third is your actual financial savings. And I think that the most compelling asset of those three is tribe, is finding your tribe. And, and tribe is not just your friends. It's not just the people who live down the street from you. It's a network of people who deeply care about each other and share a common life aesthetic. So in my 20s, early 20s, <laughs> my my tribe was my lacrosse team that liked to win games and go out and party. <laughs> and we had an amazing time doing it. And that was my tribe. Um, and then I would actually say for a while, I had no tribe. I had my work, but I didn't. And I had those acquaintances and those friends that we've had for a long time, but not a true tribe and tribe transcends geographic distance. And that, and this is a concept that has also come out of Burning Man. And so when you find your tribe, um, while it, it transcends geographic distance, my recommendation is to get around them as often as possible. And festivals Absolutely. are a great way to do it. And, and gathering and living amongst each other. We moved from Miami to Encinitas, California a year ago, and we did that because there, our tribe was here, and we're loving yeah. it here, and, and we will be here until we move to, to Costa Rica. But, um, yeah, so Alex, David, The Last Safe Investment is a great, great book. Um, David, the, uh, uh, our, show's, our show's coming to an end, so – how ah, can yes. people, thank you so much for being here. This is amazing. This is definitely my favorite show I've ever done of all time. And uh, so how our, can people our next show, we'll be talking about, about the, oh yeah. 
sorry, our next show we'll be talking about uh, presidential agendas that we could have and should have, and I will be presenting 50 points of policy that are good for America, including how we can wipe out all of our federal debt and how we can maximize the net present value of the United States so that everybody can go from being on average about $100,000 in debt to being $100,000 or so in the black. Uh, I, we hope that you've enjoyed our show and that you'll join us and that you'll post about it. And also, uh, Ben has recorded the show, and it will be available for you to find online if you want to share it with other people, and we hope that you will. Yeah. Okay. So, David, how can people hear more about Rise? How can people get a hold of you if they want to? Um, they can stay in touch with you and Alex uh, for right now. We expect to launch to the world um, uh, right around September 15th, which will be our website, a short film, um, our Facebook page, all of the, the good stuff that, uh, um, that we've got to offer. And so that's, they'll be coming up right around September 15th as at, right after Burning Man. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful. Awesome. That's great. Okay, cool. So I'm excited to launch that. Um, for, for all of you that want to come to Costa Rica and, and uh, get tapped into this lifestyle that, that we're talking about and come to rise and be on the property, Alex and I are doing a seven-day retreat called the Futurist Retreat, and we are just going to teach people how to live into the future, how to create your future as the brightest ball of light just like crank the energy up, crank the, the color up so it becomes so real you can just step into it and it becomes real immediately. And we're so excited to, to be leading that. So for those of us that, for those of you that uh, are interested in that, get in touch with me or Alex. And we'll be excited. We'll be starting with, with a, uh, we'll be starting with the Futurist Summit on the 11th of January. That will be two and a half days, and then that will go immediately into our retreat. So we welcome you to either or both of those. Thank you very yeah. much for listening. And David Comfort, you're amazing. You're an incredible, benevolent being, and <laughs> I, I, I know that this rise is going to be successful. Thank you so much for being the second guest on yep. the Futurist. Love you, brother. All right. Thanks, guys. Take care. Love you, too. Bye, David. Bye-bye. Bye, guys.